you'll find your Bible and open it up to Luke chapter 6. My goal as a pastor is to make disciples. Jesus taught us in the Great Commission that we are to go and make disciples. And so uh, as a church, we've identified four growth milestones for us as we try to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The first is worship. The initial act of worship is whenever you become a believer, that step of salvation where you recognize that you are not God, that you need forgiveness for the sins that you have committed. You bow before the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, You open your heart. Christ forgives you. The Holy Spirit indwells you, and you become a believer in Jesus Christ. But then as a worshiper, there is a worldview change that needs to take place. Instead of seeing uh, your life as the center of everything and it all revolving around you, a life that is basically entangled by selfishness, you begin seeing God as the center of all things. And you have a singleness of purpose in every area of your life from work to parenting to uh, the way that you treat your neighbor. And that is to bring glory to God because you are a worshiper. Now, worship also involves what we're doing right now, gathering together with the church. And worship involves prayer, where you come to God and you uh, bow your will to His and you talk to Him and you replace your worry with faith and you bring the desires of your heart to Him. So we want you to be a worshiper. We also want you to be a disciple who is growing. We want you growing up in the Lord and understanding more about God's Word. I mean, how exciting is it that God has revealed Himself to us in His Holy Word? And so we open the Word and we grow in our understanding of what God has said about Himself, what He has taught us about right and wrong. Every sermon that we have here, we will look at Scripture. We pray that whenever you go into life group, that you will open the Bible and you will be growing up in the Word of God. We also want you growing together so that you have what I call 2 a.m. friends within this church. People that if you had a problem at 2 a.m., you could call them, and you know they would be there to do whatever they could do to help you because we're growing together uh, as a church family. And then we want to be growing out so that we are looking at our community and looking at the hurts and the injustice and the lostness in the world around us, and we are doing what we can to take the truth of the gospel to the hurting hearts that are around us. And then ultimately, as we grow up together, out, the church grows more. So we are worshipers who are growing, but we also desire that you are serving, that you let what God, that what God is doing within your heart overflows the boundaries of you so that you find opportunities to serve God and to serve other people, that your life is not just an island unto itself, but your life is connected to what God is doing in the world around you, and you are actively using your experiences, your perspective, your spiritual gifts to serve God and serve other people. And then the fourth milestone that we've identified is living. Worship, grow, serve, live. We desire that the living water of the Holy Spirit is flowing through our lives so that those who are spiritually thirsty look at our lives and see something they want. 
something that they need. Ultimately, Christianity ought to lead us to live life with a joy. There ought to be a, a happiness and a contentment and something about us that other people see that's just different. And so we hope that you're not living a life that displays a toxic Christianity that pushes people away from the cross of Jesus, but instead you're living your life with a contagious Christianity that literally draws people to the cross. And that, that is my goal, that you will be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and that as a church we could say we are making disciples here who worship, who grow, who serve, who live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now what I want to talk to you about today is one of the major growth walls that people run into in their pursuit of Christ. One of the things that I'm trying to do as a pastor is identify what are these walls that people will hit in their spiritual journey that causes them to either go backwards or causes them to quit growing. And today I want to talk to you about one of the biggest spiritual walls that I see people hit all the time. Yesterday was, we had my daughter McKenna's seventh birthday party. And so we're celebrating her birthday. My son, Bennett, is three, and I have a nephew, Braden, who's four. So Bennett is dressed up like a firefighter, and he has his red radio flyer bike, and he's running around the house, and he's putting out fires, pretend fires, around the house. The weird thing about it is he wants to be a firefighter, and yet he's terrified of fire. I don't quite get it. But anyway, uh, the four-year-old, Braden, uh, he decides he wants to take Bennett's radio flyer fire truck. And so he comes up and he grabs a hold of it and immediately the fun stopped. I mean, Bennett's screaming, exerting his will, Braden's pouting. I mean, there is a complete clash going on right in the living room. You say, well, what'd you do, Lash? I looked at him and said, you boys work it out. You know, I mean, when you're a father of four, you quit being a referee. You just say, hey, kids, y'all got to figure this out. I, 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 you know, I'm out of here. You know, I'm going to go have a Coke and a smile. But anyway, so they figured it out. Uh, but, but I say all this because one of the large growth walls in our spiritual life occurs when what we want collides with what God wants. And so we have this collision that takes place because we want God to do something. We want Him to do something that, that uh, we desire, we think it's fair, we think that it makes sense. This is what I, I want and then God doesn't do what we want him to do. I'm sure everybody in the room that's ever walked with God for that's walked with God for very long has had this happen. God is God. And so he does what he wants to do. And so our reaction often is to get upset, to scream a little bit, maybe even to pout, and instead of continuing to push through in our spiritual growth, it becomes a growth wall, and we either stop growing at that point, and we just kind of go through the motions, or we retreat from God because God didn't do what I wanted Him to do. Now, here's the root struggle. We don't like to admit this, but a lot of times we view God as a co-equal. God is in my life, He's Lord, He's Lord of everything, He's Lord of the universe and the world, but when it comes to my actual life, we still want to keep control of the reins or this wheel. We, we still want to be the Lord of our life, and so God's there, but really, if you really dig down deep, we view Him as a co-equal, so when He doesn't do what we want Him to do, when He doesn't work with us, then we suddenly get upset with God. 
The Pharisees were experiencing this because they thought they had all the Bible answers. They thought they could speak for God. They thought they understood what the Messiah was going to be like. Uh, And then Jesus comes onto the scene, and he totally turns their world upside down. We must understand that God being God means that he can choose to do whatever he wants to do. Now, also understand this. God is altogether good. He's not corrupt. God is holy. And God defines love. In fact, 1 John says God is love. Now, be careful there because our understanding of love does not define God. God defines love for us. So we understand love as we understand God. So God as God can do what He wants to do, but God is not going to choose to do something that is contrary to His nature. But sometimes from our perspective, we don't see everything. All we see is our world. All we see is our want. And so God does things that from our perspective, we don't understand. And when that happens, you're at a critical point in your spiritual growth. You're either going to keep pressing through and and grow, and your faith is going to grow, or you're going to push away and get stagnant in your spiritual growth. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples, and he chose 12 of them, and he also named them apostles. Now, I want you to notice several things. First thing I want you to notice is Jesus liked the mountains. I, I love the mountains, and so I love this about Jesus. Now, this really isn't significant to the text, but uh, I, just, I just thought it was kind of cool that Jesus liked the mountains and went into the mountains. So let's move on to the more significant stuff. Okay, number two. Before making a big choice, Jesus secluded himself, and he prayed all night. Before any major decision that a Christian makes, there should always be a season of prayer. That season of prayer does not exist so that you can talk God into doing what you want Him to do. That season of prayer exists so that you can bend your will to the will of the Heavenly Father. You draw close to God and the Holy Spirit begins to shape your thoughts and speak to your heart. And so in your season of prayer, you submit your will to God in pursuit of His divine guidance. Before we make major decisions, there should always be a season of prayer. I'm amazed sometimes at how Christians will make huge decisions without ever talking to God about it and praying. Thirdly, I want you to notice, and this is huge because this is really uh, the, the launching pad from what a lot of my, for a lot of my sermon today. And that is that he has more than 12 disciples. He summons his disciples, but then he chooses 12 of them, and he gives them a title to be his ambassadors, to be his apostles. So there's a group of disciples, but 12 of them are chosen. Why not 14 instead of 12? Why not more diversity? If you look at the group that he chooses, there's not a woman in the group. Most of them are fishermen. They're all of the same ethnicity. They're all Jewish. Ultimately, Jesus 
made a divine choice. And he chose 12 people that he wanted. Now, from our perspective, we can ask a lot of questions here. First of all, was it fair? Well, he didn't uh, seem to take applications. It doesn't look like he went through an interview process. So, Simon Peter, tell me about yourself. What do you think are your strengths and weaknesses? Why would you make a good disciple? It doesn't appear that any of that took place. He didn't run it through the HR department. So there was a lot of stuff here that we would say, uh, you, know, you know, this isn't fair. He, d- he didn't follow procedure. Was everyone happy? Probably not. Some folks gathered there, but they didn't get picked. Imagine being the guy that didn't get picked to be the disi- one of the disciples. You go home, you're flying into the house angry. Family looks at you, what's wrong, what's wrong? Jesus didn't pick me to be an apostle. He was going to call some of us to leave everything and go follow him, and now I've got to live with you guys. You know? Were they reasonable choices? Did all the people that Jesus picked to be his disciples, did they make sense? No. Here's the list, verse 14. Simon, whom he also named Peter and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon called the zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. The press would have had a field day with these guys. We start out with Simon Peter. You know a little bit about him. He was the radically emotional fisherman. Just imagine if Simon Peter would have a Facebook page, what his Facebook wall would look like. And then you have, you have some guys that these guys seem to be pretty level-headed. You had Andrew, Philip, and Jude. Uh, in, call, in this list, he's called Judas, son of James. And these guys, from what we know of them, they all appeared to be pretty level-headed guys. But then you have James and John. James and John were these loud, boisterous guys that really wanted to be leaders, and they wanted to be the center of attention. They were always taking selfies with Jesus wherever they went. <laughs> Jesus called them the sons of thunder because they asked if they could be you know, right next to him in his kingdom and in their, in their power and authority. And then you have Bartholomew and Thomas. These guys were skeptics. They overanalyzed everything. They often suffered from analysis paralysis because they were always trying to dig down deep and figure everything out. You had Matthew. We've talked about him. He was a tax collector. Uh, Some scholars think that James, son of Alphaeus, was also a tax collector. So you have these guys in the 12, and then you have Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were a militia group, and they went around killing tax collectors. Okay? Part of the 12, they're hanging out together. They killed tax collectors and Romans. And then you have Judas Iscariot. This guy was really messed up. He suffered from uh, greed. He stole, and ultimately he would betray Jesus and take his life for it. The 12 disciples would not have passed a church vote. The 12 disciples didn't really make sense on paper. The 12 disciples were Jesus' divine choice, and the 12 disciples would eventually transform the world. If you look at these guys' life stories, eventually they would 
go out and begin planting churches and they would take the gospel uh, to areas that had not yet heard and God would use them in incredible, mind-blowing ways. Their legacy is still being experienced today right here in this church. You see, being God means that God has the right and the ability to make divine choices. God doesn't have to consult with us as to fairness, uh, popularity. Does it pass your reasoning test? God doesn't sit up in heaven worrying about whether Donald and Hillary like his choices. Sometimes God does things just because he's God, and sometimes the things that God does, I'll be honest with you, I don't understand. For example, I still don't understand Stacy marrying me. I mean, you got this beautiful, poised, wonderful woman, and then you got me, a mule in the Kentucky Derby, you know? And, and somehow, you know, God convinced her to say yes, and I'm married to her. If you're going to get married, students, marry above your head, okay? Because till death do you part can be a long time, all right? So I married well, but I still don't completely understand how I was so lucky as to marry her. There are, she, and she just says it was God's will. <laughs> you know, there are divine choices in your life that you can't do anything about. There's a lot of things in your life you can do something about. But there are some choices that God made that you can't do anything about. For example, I was born in Peoria, Illinois, in the Methodist Hospital. Now, there's two things wrong right there with that sentence. Number one, I was born in the Methodist Hospital. I'm a Baptist preacher. I should have been born in the Baylor Hospital, you know? But I was born in the Methodist Hospital. Number two, I was born in Peoria, Illinois. That's north of the Mason-Dixon line. You know, I should have been born in Texas. At least let me be born in the south. But I'm born, by birth, I'm a Yankee. I am cursed with pronouncing my vowels for the rest of my life because I was born up north. I can't do anything about those divine choices that God made. Whenever I was 16 years of age, I stopped growing at 5 feet, 9, and one-half inches in height. I wanted to be 6 feet tall. I still want to be 6 feet tall. But I'm not. And they tell me as I get older, I'll get shorter, you know. I, I, I can't change that about myself. That's just part of my DNA map. That's who I am. I have a Neanderthal forehead. Okay? When it rains, my clothes don't even get wet. The water just hits my forehead and just kind of, my shoes get wet, but my clothes stay dry. You know, there's nothing I can do about that. I, you know, that's just how God made me, and, and that's who I am. God makes multiple divine choices in your life before you're ever born. The time period in history where you were born. Could you choose that? No. Where you were born. Could you choose where you were born? No. How about the family you were born into? Your gender, whether you're male or female. The basic DNA map that's going to shape uh, your personality, your appearance, those things, those are all divine choices that God has made for you and, and for your life. God also makes divine church choices for the church. I, I love the church in the way that we bring different spiritual backgrounds together. We all don't have the same life story. 
we don't have the same perspective. The Bible teaches us in several different places that God gives believers a spiritual gift. Some of us may have more than one. And we bring those spiritual gifts into the church because God gives us those gifts to be used within the church. And so here in the church body, we have people who have the spiritual gift of being a prophet. And your favorite words to speak are, thus saith the Lord. And some of us have the spiritual gift of mercy. And you like to say, why can't everybody just love one another? Some of you are servants. You're like, let's get to work. And others are teachers. You're like, well, before we start working, let me explain this a little bit more. I don't want to make sure that you understand this. Some of you are exhorters. You're like, we really need to do this. Let's go do this. And some of you are givers, and you're like, I'll write the check. I love that. But anyway, uh, some of you are givers, and, and, and you do that. A lot of problems in life, a lot of problems in the church result from us worrying about and fighting against God's divine choices. We worry over things that God has chosen that we can't do anything about. God has not chosen to put you in a position of influence. God has not put, chosen to put you in a position of authority. And yet we worry about these things. And then we find ourselves struggling spiritually. We find ourselves arguing amongst ourselves because we worry about things. We worry about elections. We worry about other Christians' ministries. We worry about whether Dak Prescott is ready for the game today. We worry because your child got a 91 and you really think they deserved a 95 on that test. Do you understand this? Worry is an unhealthy expression of love. In our society, we try to synonymize worry and love. And we think, okay, because I love this person, I have to worry. Now, anxiety is a perfectly natural human emotion. But worry is an unhealthy expression of love. Instead of worry, the Bible says, take your anxiety and pray. God's given us a healthy avenue through which to deal with our anxieties, and that is prayer. And whenever we draw near to God in prayer, He can replace our anxiety with faith and our doubt with hope. You don't have to be trapped by worry. But a lot of us spend year after year fighting against God's divine choices in your life. And this is what grieves my heart as a pastor. When we fight God's divine choices, those things that you cannot change, it will stall your spiritual growth. So accept the divine choices that God has made. For you, within our church, accept those. Trust Him in faith that He is good, that He is loving, that He is holy, and that the choices He is making are, are, given for, are, are, are going to be good because they're from God's divine perspective. And when you accept those divine choices, it begins to unlock your potential. How has God gifted you for service? How has God gifted you to get beyond yourself and serve other people. Whenever I was a teenager, this may surprise some of you, but whenever I was a teenager, I wanted to be a really good singer. And so I practiced for hours singing. And I was good, except I couldn't stay on pitch. And I have heard that that's kind of important for singing. 
I also had this, particularly whenever I was a young teenager, I had this problem whenever I would sing, I had excessive vibrato. I couldn't control it. So if I were singing a song like Good, Good Father, it'd be like, you're a good, good father. It was like Jim Neighbors singing into a fan. I mean, it was really, it, it was wild. And, and so I never understood why God wouldn't let me uh, be a good singer. Well, then along the way, I discovered that I, I can talk. <laughs> I really enjoy opening the Bible and talking about a truth in the Bible and trying to talk about how that uh, impacts somebody's life. And, and God, God, God gifted me where I, I could do that. I mean, give me a Bible, give me a podium, and, and I can stand here, and I can talk, I can get up, I can talk. I can sit down by noon, and I'm good, you know, and, and I love to do that. I, that's fun. Uh, nursery, not really my thing. Uh, junior high ministry, sorry, not my thing. Uh, construction, not, not my thing. Uh, but stand up, talk, sit down, I can do that. Now, one of the things that I noticed as I got older, I was actually, somebody brought this to my attention, is that vibrato that I had when I tried to sing made it very difficult for me to do that, but it actually helps me as a speaker because when you have vibrato in your voice, it gives your voice resonance, and and it makes it easier for people to listen. So ultimately, God knew what He was doing whenever He designed me. I just had to work with His divine choice instead of against it. What has God chosen for you to do? Now, for some of us, there's some obvious things. If you're in school, He's chosen you to study. (laughs) If you have a family, He's chosen you. You have children. Of all the people on planet Earth, God has chosen you to be the mother or father for that child. You say, that makes no sense at all. I agree. It's one of God's divine choices. He's given you a job. There's something you do in the community. Maybe you volunteer in some capacity. And there's an opportunity for you to get beyond yourself and be a part of what God has chosen you to do. What ministry do you have? Now, some of you could give me a real quick answer there. Some of you, you're like, I don't know. I'm still searching for it. We hope that you have some area that's your ministry. These apostles were 12 unusual choices, but God used these guys to change the world. And here's what I believe about you. I believe you are not an accident. Before you were ever born, God designed you. God made divine choices that are unique to you. You are a custom creation of the heavenly father and if you look back over your life you can see that god has been guiding you fashioning you making you into the person that you are you say lash uh, if you look at my past there's a lot of mistakes there's a lot of things that i have done that are just wrong that grieve me you say lash i've had things done to me that are just absolutely wrong Nobody should have to experience what I've gone through in my life. I do not pretend to know your pain. I do not know your entire life story. But I do know this. Your future 
does not have to be defined by your past. And I also know this. Those of us in this room who have gone through great pain, and you've gone through that pain, and you're still here today, you carry within you great strength because you wouldn't have been able to go through that had you not had God not been building within you a strength and that strength that you hold is not meant to be hoarded unto yourself that strength that you hold because you've gone through all that that's meant to be shared and you can use your life to help others not have to go through the pain that you went through you can use your life to be connected to something that is bigger than you your life can be a part of the divine plan of god and you take your gifts your past your pain, you surrender that to God and you allow God to use you in ways that you never imagined. In your neighborhood, in your church, in your family, in your friendships, wherever you are, you seek to bring glory and honor to God and God can take you who you are, what you've been through, and God can use you for his glory. Do you believe that? Amen? God will make choices in your life that you don't understand. Because he's God. But please don't stop growing spiritually because you disagree with the choice that God has made. Don't let it cause you to be stagnant. Don't let it cause you to back up. Trust in God. Trust in his goodness. Trust in his holiness. Trust in his love. And push forward. Embrace God's choices and let God use you and let Him keep shaping you and let Him use you, pain of the past and all, to make a difference that can last forever. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a point in our service we call it the time of commitment. You may feel led during this time to pray. You can pray at your seat. You can come forward and pray uh, at the stage. I'm here at the front. I would be glad to pray with you as well. If the Lord is leading you to make a decision, perhaps you're at a point like Edward and Carla where uh, you need to be baptized and you need to go public with your faith. Maybe you're at that point where you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It would be my joy to talk with you about, about that spiritual decision in your life today. I can talk with you about it during this next song. I'll be here after the service as well. I'd love to be a pastor to you and help you however I may. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you and we thank you. We thank you for the divine choices that compose our life. Father, there's some things that we don't fully understand and we may never fully understand them in this life. But we do embrace you as good and holy. We trust in you as God. So I ask, Lord, that we will not become spiritually stagnant, that we will not run from you, but instead may we run to you. May we trust you, place our faith in you, and we pray that you will use our life, even the pain, the brokenness of the past. We pray that you might use our life to be a part of something that's bigger than us, to be a part of something that's God-sized. Lord, that may be something as small as loving our neighbor and caring for our family today. But, Lord, we realize there's no accidents within your will. 
And so we trust you, and we seek to be in the middle of your will. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.